0: Last week on the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast,
1: as well as some older stuff that obliterated Nate or was a little
0: bit naughty.
1: What are the reasons to like Justice Hill? Refresh our memory, Nate. This is a podcast where we talk about players and why we like them and why we don't like them. I don't know. I didn't hear you tell me why you like them. You just have to eat that. That's a fact. I don't know. I'll probably at least quit this show twice between now and then. And. The Fantasy Mansion made a good point today. You can finally see how good Randall Cobb is finally playing with an elite quarterback. I said that on the last podcast. That's funny, huh? It's funny. It's hilarious. And Replace Tom Brady with Colin Kaepernick and go win a Super Bowl. And
0: I just prefer to be the one guy of the two on this podcast that isn't giving people horrible-ass advice on a player that's never, ever, ever,
1: ever, ever going to see the field. His primary option was... Was Jeremy Curley. And it is very much a pity ranking keeping Odell Beckham Jr. inside the top 15. That's how far he's fallen. Then it's over. Then you're just playing some kind of wheelchair sport. Oh my God. And every NFL general manager is a moron.
0: And I refuse to be excited about Bo Scarborough. And.
1: I know you guys want me to call him Dick Whalen. I won't. I refuse to call him Dick Whalen. He liked Ronald Jones. He liked him better than Nick Chubb and Darius Geis and Saquon... <laughs> I can't! Damn it!
0: And you are going to die on the top of Brian Hill.
1: Brian Hill is actually a volcano, and you're a citizen of Pompeii.
0: A Brian Hill volcano is
1: very, very, very small. If there's a Brian Hill volcano at all, and the... 14, 15, 16th overall picks in 2020. Oh, give me all of those. I am rock hard. Oh, man. Touting Gary Jennings because you have some residual Seahawks loyalty to unrealized athleticism is offensive to me and an abdication of your duty to this audience. A complete betrayal, and you should be ashamed of yourself. My mouse just died on me. Hold on. Are you fucking kidding me? If you did any prep whatsoever, looked at the rankings once, checked the show sheet once, listened to the clip of Marshawn Lynch talking to John Wertheim once,
2: you would know all these things!
0: What? Me? And Why can't they just play the Nintendo Switch? You know, why can't they just do that? Why do you gotta do drugs?
2: Okay, why don't you go- <laughs>
0: why you do
1: you gotta do drugs? It's gonna be a good show. And. Was that Kirsten Dunst's dream, a wet dream? <laughs> no, it wasn't a wet dream. Thank you very much. I have had a wet dream once when I was 15. I woke up and I was having sex with my pillow. This fucking show has no boundaries. Man, I've got
0: chronic neck problems, Matt. Was I relating that to something sexual? Todd Haley and his
1: wife don't believe in wearing clothes at all. The enthusiasm was frothy. It's the best way to go out on a sweatpant boner. Is this the time when you think people start masturbating to the show?
0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Liss. You can find me on Twitter at an outraged Jew. And with me, as always, is Mr. Matt Kelly. You can find him on Twitter at fantasy underscore mansion. Matt, Chicago and Dallas are currently playing as we speak. How are you doing tonight?
1: Oh, help me contain my enthusiasm, Nate. Mm. For Chicago, Dallas, Chicago, Dallas, Dallas, Chicago. They're both 6-6, six and six, would-be playoff teams that are not going to make the playoffs. Ugh. And Jason Garrett will not be an NFL coach for very much longer. Enjoy these remaining games on the schedule, Jason. Do you think Jason Garrett will ever be a head coach in the NFL again?
0: Uh, I don't think so.
1: Can you go from figurehead, puppet coach in Dallas? Can he become a real boy head coach in some other destination? What a funny Funniest ways
0: I've ever heard it, but uh, I, I don't know.
1: Because he's like Pinocchio.
0: He's like a puppet.
1: I'm a real boy.
0: I don't I don't think so.
1: Jerry, I want to be a real boy.
0: <laughs> the, okay, that impression was a lot better than Steve Belichick or whatever the hell his name is. Hey, that's in the outtakes.
1: Damn. People have to listen for an hour before they hear that. <laughs> I don't listen to the show. Brilliant Steve Belichick impression.
0: Huh, it's good. I had to tease it. Damn it.
1: Spoiler alert.
0: Jesus. Shh!
1: Spoiler alert. Teaser. Yeah, teaser. Teaser. I gave you the spoiler alert sounder, but I, but I should have given you credit for teasing. Thanks, man. It's hard to give you credit as a show host. I understand. When you're so often stumbling around. I'm fine with this. Is David Montgomery playing tonight? Uh, we should check in. Has anybody checked in on David Montgomery? Uh, currently, broke off a twenty-yard run, a breakaway run for David Montgomery. Hmm. Mm. Am I making a mistake not hoarding David Montgomery in Dynasty? It's a great question.
0: Uh, he hasn't been as spectacular as people had predicted, but admittedly, his O-line play also hasn't been good this year. And again, if you go to playerprofiler.com, you can look and see that he has faced uh, number 23 overall uh, stacked boxes. So 6.8 defenders in the box on average, number 23 overall.
1: Yeah, the run blocking efficiency, 58.6, number 49 in the league. So you're right. And he has Mitchell Trubisky, one of the worst starting quarterbacks in the league. So no aspect of this offense is doing him any favors. Right.
0: So I don't I don't necessarily think he's a
1: fade. I was never a big fan due to the lack of
0: athleticism. We had him as the third running back in this class. We had it Miles Sanders, Josh Jacobs,
1: David Montgomery. And they were the top three picks in rookie drafts, too, because we put a premium on primary backs, especially those drafted in rounds one, two, and three, day one and two. But David Montgomery runs a four six three with a one oh nine point zero tenth percentile burst score. So a 20-yard run is as good as you're going to get from David Montgomery. Right. But what's interesting is that
0: David Montgomery uh, is number 15 overall in rushing touchdowns, but number 3 in goal line carries. So let's get some conversions in there, David. So
1: he's giving us the bare minimum. You're getting the bare minimum, literally. He's outside the top 30 running backs in the NFL in fantasy points per game, which is hard to do if you've been playing a primary back role the entire season. That's almost a riddle. How could you be the primary back for an NFL franchise for the first 13 weeks of the season and be outside the top 30 in fantasy points per game? Mm. And he has six touchdowns. Oh, well, he's like Leonard Fournette. Just an obscene outlier TD rate. Oh, no. No, his touchdown rate is in line with expectation. He's just not that good. Only 32 targets. He's supposed to be a target magnet out of the backfield, but he's sharing a backfield with Tariq Cohen. So if you're the... Thunder In a thunder and lightning backfield, you need to be explosive. You need to have Darius Geis-level tackle-breaking and breakaway speed. And David Montgomery has neither. He has elusiveness. He has lateral quickness. But if you're not going to be commanding a significant percentage of the target share in your passing game, then you're not going to be able to leverage that lateral quickness and translate it into receptions, and receiving yards, and potentially receiving touchdowns. That's the great benefit of the Le'Veon Bells, of the Austin Ecklers that are super slick in the passing game with great lateral quickness, is they pile up receptions and production in the passing game. If David Montgomery can't deliver that, he's Peyton Barber.
0: i also like to uh, circle back before we miss it to one of the most brilliant accidental puns you've had on the show when you said that he was getting everyone the bare minimum. (laughs) (laughs) Well done, Mr. Kelly.
1: Yes! Yes! Oh, another errant pass to Allen Robinson. Allen Robinson now one for five on two targets. Question. If Allen Robinson and Amari Cooper switch teams, Mm. how would that affect their dynasty ratings? I mean, uh,
0: proportionally,
1: uh, Alan Robinson would be a
0: top 10 dynasty asset and Amari Cooper would be that player that we're a big fan of that just didn't have the quarterback play around him. I mean, Alan
1: Robinson, it's not one for one because Amari Cooper's 25, but he's only one year older. I thought Amari Cooper was significantly younger than Allen Robinson, but it's only a year difference.
0: Right. And Alan Robinson came into the league really young. He's just He's just had it hard every year
1: he's ever been in the league. We have Allen Robinson outside the top 20 dynasty receivers because he's sitting at the age apex and there is no quarterback coming to his rescue Mm. on the horizon. Whereas Amari Cooper has Dak Prescott. That's why Amari Cooper is a top five dynasty receiver and Allen Robinson currently outside the top 20. If their roles were reversed... I think Amari Cooper would still be inside the top 20. I'd put him around number 15 right there with Cooper Cup. And I agree, Allen Robinson would be top 10 right there with Devontae Adams. I like that. He would
0: be tantalizing, man, if he had great quarterback play week in, week out. You knew he was good for eight to 10 targets, high quality targets, but he just doesn't get it in this Bears offense. And it's not a good offense. I mean, it's bad all around. Bad O-line, bad
1: quarterback. Allen Robinson has been left for dead once again. He put up 1,400 yards with Blake Bortles once upon a time. And the way he did that was through Yak. Yeah, He was one of the league leaders in Yak that season. That's the way he did it. Because you can't rely on accurate passes through the air from Blake Bortles for the vast majority of your receiving production. you got to generate it on your own with Yak. That's how he did it that's the solution to that particular riddle but Allen robinson is in some ways better than des bryant in that he's more agile and more explosive after the catch than des bryant while being des bryant's equal in the air so when you're looking at body control strength at the catch point he's right there with des bryant but he offers a little more juice after the catch that's how good Allen robinson is but Five years from now, we may be looking back on his career as one that that could never even glance against Dez Bryant historically. But Dez Bryant was healthy during his prime, and Tony Romo was his quarterback. Tony Romo was unafraid to throw the back shoulder fade, unafraid to throw it up and let Dez Bryant go get it. So many quarterbacks, especially in today's NFL, are afraid to throw Wide receivers open. They need to see the throw before they make it. Tony Romo was not wired that way. So it was an ideal skill match between Des Bryant and Tony Romo for the entire duration of Des Bryant's prime. That's why Des Bryant was able to post three consecutive seasons with ten or more touchdowns. There are very few wide receivers in the history of the NFL that ever put together three straight, three straight 10-plus touchdown seasons. Allen Robinson's never going to do it. He's already 26 years old, and that's a goddamn shame. It's pretty unfortunate that Allen Robinson missed the Jay Cutler years. That's right. Think about it. Jay Cutler did the impossible. He sustained two prototypical X receivers because he had zero fear, because he had absolutely no fear throwing the ball up for grabs. That's why. Brandon Marshall and Alshon Jeffrey were both wide receiver ones in a single season in Chicago because of Jay Cutler and I think Kyle Orton was also the quarterback during that season. And Kyle Orton was known as a jump ball quarterback as well. Des Bryant, 2012, 2013, and 2014, 12, 13, and 16 touchdowns. He was good. Never again. Not from Allen Robinson. Would a wide receiver that's built like Des Bryant be able to post those kinds of numbers in today's NFL? The way teams spread the ball around all these three and four wide receiver sets, the way so many quarterbacks come out of college wanting to keep the ball in the middle of the field, waiting for wide receivers to break open before they throw it. I don't know.
0: It, it would be tough. I mean, he had the target share. That's for sure. That was always on his side in Dallas. But yeah, he was a go up and get a receiver. I, I don't know. I, they utilized him in the red zone. He had opportunities. The unfortunate thing for Allen Robinson is he's just had such inaccurate, piss poor quarterback play for so long on teams that don't even don't even make it to the red zone. Let alone get an opportunity to throw it to him when he's there. It's just it's been bad. And like you said, you know, we may never see. Uh, We probably will never see another 1,400-yard year out of Allen Robinson. I'd like to just see a 1,000-yard year out of Allen Robinson.
1: From the five-yard line, Allen Robinson, touchdown. So well inside the red zone. There goes Allen Robinson. If you're throwing it to anyone else in the red zone, you're an idiot. Yeah, just throw it to Allen Robinson for God's sakes. Would you trade for Allen Robinson, hoping the Bears upgrade their quarterback in the offseason? The Jaguars inadvertently upgraded their quarterback, drafting Gardner Minshew. Yeah. The Cardinals intentionally upgraded their quarterback, trading former first-rounder Josh Rosen, turning him right around, sending him to Miami, and then taking Kyler Murray with the first pick in the draft. Listen, here's the thing. Let me hit
0: you with every Allen Robinson game.
1: With dynasty receivers in particular, do you generally chase the talent and ignore the situation knowing that the team environment is always changing in the NFL?
0: Sure. I I would. I mean, I'd chase the talent. We all knew that Allen Robinson was a good player and it was an unfortunate situation. But look, let's look at 2019. The big thing with Allen Robinson that everybody's been screaming is put the ball in his hands. In 2019, if you look at every game where he has had more than eight targets in the game, here are his fantasy output in those games. 17 points, 28.7 points, 24.7 points, 14.5 points, 25.1 points, 22.6 points. Just put the ball in his hand. Let him have the ball more often. When it's in his hand, he does great things. It's just this offense has had numerous games where he had five targets, seven targets. I mean, he's been over double digits most of the year. But yeah, if he's doing this with Mitchell Trubisky, it can't get worse, can it?
1: He's a throwback player and we'll be seeing less and less Allen Robinsons in the NFL in the years ahead. But one came out in the draft in 2019, D.K. Metcalf.
2: Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: D.K. Metcalf is a prototypical X receiver, and they have him exclusively running fades and double moves in the occasional drag route, split out wide. So do you think D.K. Metcalf can evolve to be a Des Bryant, Allen Robinson-level player in the NFL?
0: Absolutely. I mean, the difference... Absolutely? I I do. I mean, we're seeing this from him as a rookie. As a 21-year-old rookie. As a 21-year-old rookie. And remember, this is a guy that, before the draft, we all thought that he was a top 10 pick. It felt like he was a lock for the top 10 with the athleticism. Then the concerns of the injury history. Then the concerns of the lack of collegiate production, which we've talked about. The breakout finder has has helped spotlight the, the teammate score and what it means to play with other talented players. And, and then we talked about the three-cone. Of course that came up, right? And then he falls all the way down to the end of the second round where he is the final pick of the second round.
1: Put yourself in the shoes of DK Metcalf as he's watching the second round unfold. Yes. What was going through his mind? Ah! Uh, he was
0: probably getting ready to uh, text Dalvin Cook and say... I guess three-cone
1: matters, bro. It would have been a surreal experience to be one of the best athletes in the draft at a key position and to fall to the end of the second round. And what must have made it all the more frustrating was to watch so many inferior wide receivers get drafted in front of you. Mm -hmm. Which second-round receiver selection do you think bothered him most? Uh, I'm gonna take a guess no 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 don't take a guess there's no right or wrong answer I want your opinion because you know my opinion it's on the show sheet because I actually took the time to outline my thoughts on the show sheet so I could be super polished when the mics come on but that doesn't mean you can steal my answer
0: I would love to steal your answer but I'll give you my answer because when it happened it shocked me the Miko Hardman one would have been one of them for starters. Now, he's got
1: the speed. Yes, yes, that's a good one. Yes. Who the fuck is Miko Hardman? Right, exactly. Nobody knew who Meikle Hardman was. We've come to know who he is. One of the fastest receivers in the league. Congratulations on being super fast and having Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback. Right. But no one was super familiar with Miko Hardman at the time of the draft. Right. I'm going J.J. Arcega-Whiteside because if you're D.K. Metcalf. You can rationalize away a team selecting A.J. Brown, for example. You know A.J. Brown is a dog. You know A.J. Brown loves the sport of football. Debo Samuel. You know these are super versatile, super intense, super competitive athletes that are destined for success at the next level. You know it. And then, then Nicole Harbin comes off the board. Okay, you know he runs a 4-3. All right. Andy Isabella, he runs a 4-3. Fine. Team X is looking for a field stretcher. Okay, I get it. Andy Reid's trying to capture lightning in a bottle. Again, he's reaching for a Tyree Kill 2.0. Okay, okay. You can get your head around these picks. You can understand that when the Cardinals are drafting Andy Isabella over Hakeem Butler, they're looking for a specific archetype of player. But when the Philadelphia Eagles draft J.J. Arcega fucking Whiteside
2: mm-hmm.
1: over... The athletic god that is DK Metcalf, a player with a similar stature, who plays a similar role in the football field, but is just inferior in every way, that would have been the most maddening pick if I were DK Metcalf. I would have been beside myself, screaming at my agent. My agent would have lost an eardrum, Nate, <clears throat> after that J.J. Arcega-Whiteside pick. You know, we crowdsourced a Nickname for J.J. Arsega Whiteside on Patreon. Mm. Patreon.com forward slash podfather. Can you guess what it is? I, I, no, I can't. I have no idea. J.J. White Whitesuck. Is that good? It's not very good. No, that's not good at all. What, number two? Yeah, because it can't be any worse. J.J. Arsega Bad Side. That's... <laughs> like that's my bad side, not my good side? It's a little better. J.J. Arcega white suck is not very good. J.J. Arcega woof side. Like, ooh, woof.
0: Hey, Matt, can can somebody go, will you go in there and post J.J. Arcega white sigh?
1: <gasps> J.J. Arcega white ooh, sigh. It's been there the whole time. Wow. It's right there. Wow. He lost the Jaws nickname. I gave him the Jaws nickname in the offseason, and I've revoked it. Because he's terrible, and he personifies the ultimate overthought draft pick by Howie Roseman—just a catastrophic blunder. If you wanted a traditional, prototypical X receiver, a true alpha on the outside, you go DK Metcalf. You don't draft JJ Arcega-White.
2: Sigh.
0: Look, they should have gone DK Metcalf there. There were only
1: eight picks away from the third round it's a low risk pick well, what were they doing what were the eagles doing howie roseman if you're listening to this show email me podfather at rotounderworld.com it's a private channel of communication howie just share with me the thinking behind that draft pick just get it off your chest i know you've been second guessing yourself ever since and you have no one to talk to about it you can talk to me I will not disclose any of this information to Nate or this audience. It'll be just between us, Howie. Email me, buddy. I know you want to get that off your chest because woof. (sighs) And if you look at where the breakout finder had these two players. I was just about to ask where does the breakout finder have these two players. (laughs) You and I, man. I mean, it's like we've done hundreds of shows together. Hundreds.
0: Uh, so DK Metcalf ranked number six overall in the class, which is impressive when you consider the the collegiate body of work. Right,
1: he was injured for a, a
0: decent stretch at Mississippi, and that is taken into account. You know the production it is weighed with the injuries in it. But DK Metcalf, with a 38 percent breakout finder percentage, to JJ Arcega-Whiteside, who's number 13 in the class. I mean, he went in the second round, so understandably, 24.6 percent breakout finder percentage. That's not great for a second round pick. That's not great for a second round pick.
1: You want to know why? Please tell me. He's not good. How about this? How about this for a nickname? J.J. Arcega White Not Good. That's, it's, I don't know. That's not good either.
0: <laughs> you know who he's sitting right next to? I mean, he's sitting almost side by side with Justin Hunter. Yeah. You know, he's he's right
1: there. Yeah. He and Justin Hunter are very similar players. Right there. JJ Arsega Whiteside, red shirted as a freshman, which is a glaring red flag. And then he went to the combine and he was relatively slow, ran a four five five with mm-hmm. no burst and no agility. So even though he's six two with thirty three and a quarter inch arms, his catch radius is under 10-0 38th percentile. Mm. Like that is a riddle. How are you that big with that kind of wingspan and that small a catch radius? I don't know. And you have Carson Wentz as your quarterback. So whatever catch radius you have, it's not going to get used on the outside anyway. It's the worst possible draft pick. It's a bad skill fit with Carson Wentz, and it's a day three talent. So you're drafting a day three talent on day two who's a bad fit for your quarterback. Mm Mm-hmm. And J.J. Sega whiteside was not used at all on special teams. Exactly. They didn't hand him the ball out of the backfield. They didn't have him returning punts or kicks because he doesn't have the dynamism that the breakout finder puts a premium on. Time and time again, you see these versatile playmakers who are active in every phase other than defense. Some of them play on defense, too, like John Ross, but... They're involved in the running game, they're involved in special teams, of course, they're deployed as a receiver first and foremost, but that is a significant indicator that a wide receiver will translate to the next level. In a 6'2", 225-pound receiver, you know, just based on his, on his size, his stature, his athletic profile, that with an 11.64 11th percentile agility score, they're not going to put him back there to return punts. It's a statue. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to be a statue, you need to be a monster producer. And you have to produce at an early age. So if you don't have the dynamic score and or the teammate score, like A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf enjoyed at Mississippi, then you have to be a monster producer at an early age. And J.J. Arcega-Whiteside just wasn't that. He wasn't that at all. So all the criticisms that we lay at the feet of Hakeem Bustler also apply to J.J. Orsega White. Sigh. And Eagles fans should be beside themselves at this point, watching the career arcs of Metcalf and Whiteside play out. The guy checks one box, he's big, and he was productive in his final season. That's it. That's literally it. He was productive in his fourth season in college, and he's big. That's not enough, man. That's a day three pick. If you're a general manager, you're listening to this show, players with J.J. Arcega-Whiteside's profile, those are day three picks. Hakeem Bustler went on day three for a reason. That's where he should have gone. Hakeem Butler would have been a first-round pick 10 years ago. The NFL is getting smarter. You've got front office player personnel people listening to this show and using playerprofiler.com, and you see it. On draft day, fewer and fewer teams are making egregious errors over drafting the wrong players with the wrong profiles. And I thought Howie Rosen was better than that. What about Josh Gordon? When I think of Josh Gordon, I think of a lesser Des Bryant. But throughout his career, he's rarely been to Des Bryant. Flash is his nickname, which is a, a misnomer. He's not fast. Why he's called Flash, I, I don't know. He has the same... Straight line speed is J.J. Orsega-Whiteside. I don't know why they call him Flash, but if you were to pull a football fan out of Buffalo Wild Wings and ask them to pick a comp for Josh Gordon, either Des Bryant or Julio Jones, who do you think they would select? For Josh Gordon, I think they would say Julio Jones. That's right. And that's why he's overrated. Because he's not this explosive, plays-above-the-defense, supercharged X-receiver that can win in all quadrants, that stretches the field, but also wins on the sideline. There are very few players that can stretch the field, play above the defense, and win along the sideline. Calvin Johnson, Julio Jones, it's a very rare skill set. And I believe that most football fans believe that once upon a time, Josh Gordon had that skill set. And what I'm here to tell you is, he was never that guy. He's always been misperceived because he had that monster second season where he led the league in receiving yards, went well over 1,500 yards in 14 total games with Brandon Whedon and Jason Campbell and Brian Hoyer as his quarterbacks. That was one of the most impressive seasons in the history of the NFL, but it also fueled a misconception of Josh Gordon. So when I say Josh Gordon's overrated, I'm not saying... He's a bad football player in his prime, 22, 23-year-old Josh Gordon. He was one of the league's better outside bully receivers. He was a lesser version of Dez Bryant and Allen Robinson. And that's still good, right? Devontae Parker is producing like a top 15 wide receiver in the NFL right now. And at an advanced age, he's emerged as a lesser version of A.J. Green. He's still good, but he's not elite and if the circumstances were right, the moon and the stars aligned for Devontae Parker, he could have one of those Josh Gordon seasons. Do you think Devontae Parker has a 1,500-yard season in him if the moon and the stars align just right?
0: For sure. I mean, and Devontae Parker is, is still, I mean, he's he's right at that apex, as you would say. I mean, he's right at 27 years old, but I think he could have had one in the past, and maybe he's on that trajectory
1: to have one big season you know one career year here coming up it's not going to happen because with Josh Gordon like that Allen Robinson season he had in Jacksonville Josh Gordon caught a bunch of intermediate routes that turned into touchdowns because defensive backs fell down they slipped they took bad angles you stack up a bunch of fluke plays and it turns into a fluke season that changes your perception Among football fans forever.
0: Yeah, and the thing about Josh Gordon, I'm with you. I don't think he's washed up even at this point, but...
1: He's not that explosive. But no, he's not. That's my objection. He's overrated because he's viewed as this Julio Jones gone wrong, but he was never that guy. But the advantage for Josh Gordon today
0: is that everybody realizes he's towards the end of his career. He's never going to produce like he did, and now the expectation for him isn't to go out and catch seven balls for 100 yards a game. It's to do exactly what he's been doing now in Seattle, which is catch a, a crucial slant route for a first down when they need him or you know to, to, to run a seam route and make a play down the middle of the field when they need him. He's never going to be targeted numerous times a game. That's
1: DK's role. That's Lockett's role. Do you know how many 100-yard games he had last year? With Tom Brady at quarterback in his age 27 season, directly at the AJPEX with Tom Brady as his quarterback, how many 100-yard games did he have last year? The explosive Josh Gordon. It's got to be less than three. Two. Yeah. Two. Starting receiver for 12 games at the AJPEX with Tom Brady. 200-yard games. Why? Because that's not who Josh Gordon is. Josh Gordon is a quality possession receiver. He is strong at the catch point. He has great feet and great body control. But he's closer to Muhammad Sanu than he is Julio Jones. The Josh Gordon talent profile has never been what it was sold to be. And so many Dynasty leaguers have kept this highly volatile, highly unreliable possession receiver crowding out other possible Dynasty ads on their roster for five plus years. And what have you gained? 11.6%. Fantasy points per game in 2018. You stashed him for five years, you get a wide receiver three season in 2018. Really? Really? How is that player not overrated? Allen Robinson, three catches, 20 yards, two touchdowns. That's right. He's up to two touchdowns, two tutties for Allen Robinson. And I think Dak Prescott is a matchup-sensitive quarterback. You look back through the game log, when he plays Detroit, it's a fireworks display in the sky. So when he plays a soft pass defense, there he goes, 350 yards and three touchdowns. But whenever Dak Prescott faces one of these suffocating pass defenses, he finds a way to underperform, doesn't he? How often has Dak Prescott risen above the defense that he's facing? That's a rare event for Dak Prescott. If Dak Prescott doesn't play
0: well, doesn't that mean Jason Garrett is gone? Jason Garrett's been gone, bro. I'm just saying. Maybe it's incentive. You know, teams are tanking for Tua. Maybe he's like, you know, maybe I just overthrow this ball or underthrow that ball.
1: I think at this point, Jason Garrett sleeps fine. I don't think he loses any sleep over the losses. He's known that he's the Manchurian candidate NFL coach. He's known this for some time. He has to have known. He sleeps fine. Zero anxiety in Jason Garrett's life at this point. I love it. Serene. (laughs) Serene. In Dynasty, who you got, Josh Gordon or David Moore? Oh, my God. Uh,
0: Well, I mean, you just laid out a pretty good case of why it wouldn't be Josh Gordon. Might as well go with David Moore. He's younger. Especially in the event of an injury in this offense. Who's a player that they're going to really rely on? We saw him make a huge play. Uh, In the last game on Monday night, David Moore is that explosive playmaker in an offense that loves to utilize guys that can get open down the field, especially in broken coverage. It would be David Moore, no
1: doubt, over Josh Gordon in this offense. If I plucked a football fan out of Buffalo Wild Wings, and you know I love this premise, I'm going to continue to use it. Yes, I know. If I plucked a football fan out of Buffalo Wild Wings and asked them, who's more athletic, David Moore or Josh Gordon, who would they say? Josh Gordon. And they would be wrong. (laughs) David Moore is best comparable to Michael Floyd in a good way. Michael Floyd also more athletic than Josh Gordon. Michael Floyd also suffered with substance abuse. But because it was alcohol, Michael Floyd washed out even faster than Josh Gordon in the NFL. Michael Floyd couldn't hang around as long as Josh Gordon because alcohol was ruins your internal organs and your strength and conditioning in a way that other drugs do not you're much better off being addicted to cocaine than you are alcohol just ask Lawrence Taylor
2: he said he first tried cocaine at a party during his rookie year in 1981 and by his third season he'd moved up to crack you right I'd go through an ounce a day there were times I'd be standing in the huddle And instead of thinking what defense we were playing, I'd be thinking about smoking crack after the game. Well, like, well, you got to understand, though. uh, It didn't affect my play. To beat NFL drug tests, Taylor told us his teammates would give him their urine. But he finally failed a test when the urine had been given turned out to be dirty. And Taylor was so powerless to resist it that the day after his final game in 1994, he was back smoking crack. Well, like, well, you got to understand, though. uh, it
1: didn't affect my play. Sorry, Michael Floyd. It was never going to happen. Michael Floyd, Austin Safarian Jenkins. I mean, the end comes quickly when you can't stay off the booze. But you smoke crack, you're fine. Let's just do a rankings check on David Moore. I'm nervous. Palms are sweaty. Where do you think we have David Moore ranked on the Player Profiler Dynasty rankings? If you had to guess. I I would say in the high 40s. I think it's a fair guess. 52. He's never going to be the number one option, so it'd be a stretch to put him in the top forty. Yeah, he might be a little further back than that. Yeah, he. I,
0: what are we talking? Like sixty-five, somewhere in there.
1: David Moore is the number seventy-seven wide receiver on the right. Player Profiler Dynasty rankings, just behind Miles Boykin and just ahead of Zach Pascal. I think that's absolutely fair. It's a good spot. Zach Pascal and David Moore don't have the draft capital of Miles Boykin, but Miles Boykin has the youth and the draft capital, but without the production. Call it even. Yeah, it's a good spot. Where should we have Paris Campbell ranked? Mm. Overall in there? uh, Probably got Paris Campbell in the 40s. We do. Exactly number 45. Yeah. But it may be too low because I think a breakout is coming for Paris Campbell. Mm. Tell me why. 70% snap share last week, and... He has athleticism for days. And Paris Campbell is the type of wide receiver that thrives in today's NFL. In the air raid style offense, air raid hybrid that many of these NFL teams are implementing. You want wide receivers with that Paris Campbell skill set. That queen chess piece you can move all around the field. They can run the go, button hook, bubble screen, you name it. They're dangerous in every quadrant of the football field. I think that's the future of the NFL. And you shouldn't be surprised when one day a Paris Campbell usurps even a DK Metcalf on the rankings. And you also shouldn't be surprised if he usurps Zach Pascal on that target totem pole this week. This could be the week that Paris Campbell ascends to the top of that depth chart and becomes the number one option. Because if he out-targets Zach Pascal this week, it's over. He's the number one in that passing game for the rest of the season. So a 45 ranking is the bare minimum. We should have him higher. I'm embarrassed. <laughs> it's, it's, a fair, it's a fair spot. The breakout finder loves Paris Campbell, right? Yeah, the breakout finder liked Paris Campbell a lot. If you had a running back breakout finder, would it have loved Kalen Bellage? Because I know you personally oh, God. touted Kalen Bellage during his time at Arizona State. Oh, God. One of our first podcasts. Talking about college prospects, you mentioned Kalen Balaj as one of the college running backs you were most excited about. Are you embarrassed? I'm ashamed. Because Kalen Balaj set the NFL record as the only running back to average less than 2.0 yards per carry with 60 or more carries. Is that bad? Can you believe that happened and that you liked that guy? It's really bad, Nate. It's really, really bad. And you should be completely and utterly ashamed that you liked him. And I tried to tell you on numerous shows, just perpetual advice from the Podfather. You need to walk away from this Kalen Balaj. He can't play. He's incompetent. But every time you kept going back to all oh, athleticism, oh. Uh. And I kept reminding you, oh, what about Niall Davis? What about Kristen Michael? And it turns out he's way more incompetent than those guys. You're at your absolute worst when you flip this switch. You know, he ran a route out of the backfield where he ducked when the ball was on the way because he didn't want the ball to hit him. He ducked out of the way of the pass instead of catching it. Just ran right into the tunnel and into the locker room. Look, let me, we should have known.
0: If you go back to his game log, I did know. No, hold on. Hold on. If you go back to his game log, 2016 to 2017, just listen to these rushing stat lines by yard per carry. 3.7, 1.5,
1: 2, 2, 3.4, 3.1, 1.5, 1.9, 4.4, 2.9, 3.5, 3.9. This is a Pac-12. He's terrible. Why did not you try to stop me? I tried to stop you at every turn. When? Do you think we're too low on Patrick Laird? No, you're probably just right. (laughs) we tend to be just right on most players on the player profiler dynasty rankings playerprofiler.com forward slash player rankings can i take a guess guess patrick
0: laird running back oh man he he better be like number honestly he better be number like 89
1: 47 wow wow we have patrick laird just behind royce freeman and just ahead of benny snell Maybe season-long, but Dynasty, that's way, way, way too high. Why is it too high? For Dynasty, he's 24 years old. The reason why he's that high is because he's ahead of Latavius Murray and Carlos Hyde because those guys are 29.
0: I'll tell you why he's too high. Because the Miami Dolphins are a prime location to add a running back. And with that Pittsburgh pick for Minka Fitzpatrick, which is about number 22 right now, DeAndre Swift... Is going to end up in Miami.
1: No. And he is going to wreck
0: house. It's happening. It's happening.
1: No, 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 no. Miami is an analytics-focused organization. They leverage analytics as well as anyone right now in the NFL. Miami is going to be a playoff team sooner rather than later. They are rebuilding on the fly and fast. And the analytical minds in Miami know that you don't invest significant draft capital on the running back position. They know it. Look at their backfield right now. Do they try to trade for a running back? No, they know that's not the place to invest the capital. And if they're going to bring in a running back, it's going to be between the tackles grinder, not competing with Patrick Laird for that satellite back role. Patrick Laird is a satellite back plus, And he can be an Austin Eckler level producer in the NFL. Oh, no. Oh, no. They're going to replace him. And this is handcuff season. Mm. If you're going to handcuff Patrick Laird, you do it with Miles Gaskin. Don't be surprised when Miles Gaskin commands more carries the rest of the season than Patrick Laird. That could happen. But Patrick Laird will produce more PPR fantasy points because he's the one that's active in the passing game. And there are few options left for Ryan Fitzpatrick. Since Preston Williams went down, Devontae Parker has posted 10 or more targets in every game. Every game since Preston Williams got hurt. He's the poster child for the law of the conservation of targets, and that also can be applied now to Patrick Laird. But this is handcuff season. The back of your roster in seasonal leagues, and dynasty, you should be skewing toward the highest upside backup running backs. For example, Mark Ingram goes down. The Baltimore Ravens have the best running game in the league because you have Lamar Jackson freezing opposing linebackers. You have Marshall Yanda blowing huge gaps in the defensive line. You have wide running lanes. You have defenses on their heels. The Baltimore Ravens create the perfect running environment. So if Ingram goes down, who's the handcuff? Is it Justice Hill or is it Gus Edwards? Is this a redraft question or Dynasty? I realize it's a Dynasty show, but i got
0: to ask anyways.
1: No, this season. This season. This is a question for this season. It would be Gus Edwards this season. It's Gus Edwards. Yeah, it would be Gus Edwards. Gus Edwards is sneaky athletic, He has size and speed. What more do you want? Everyone's talking about Alexander Madison, Alexander Madison. Oh, Dalvin Cook misses week 14. It's the Alexander Madison show, RB1 in fantasy league winner. RB1 and fantasy league winner. No, 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 no. If Mark Ingram and Dalvin Cook were both put on IR today, Gus Edwards should be projected to score more fantasy points the rest of the season. Gus Edwards, you know he has a 105.0 80th percentile speed score with above-average burst, and, and if you're an explosive downhill-between-the-tackles grinder in that offense, then you're a threat for 100 yards and two touchdowns every single week. If we love Derrick Henry, despite a lack of involvement in the passing game, well, Gus Edwards could be Derrick Henry East if anything happens to Mark Ingram. But I don't want to talk to you about Gus Edwards. In Dynasty, we have Justice Hill ranked higher than Gus Edwards because in the long term, Baltimore is going to leverage Justice Hill's talent. It's just a matter of time. So find a way to stash Justice Hill while no one's paying attention because he's one of the most explosive running backs in the league, and this is going to be one of the best running games in the league for years to come. But what about Mike Boone? Mm-hmm. Mike Boone could see 5-10 to carries this week if Dalvin Cook doesn't play. Have you seen this Mike Boone athletic profile? I have. It's incredible. Somehow they continue to stash players like this. Mike Boone looks a lot like Justice Hill. So you have to stash Mike Boone. After Mike Boone melted faces in preseason, he was the most impressive running back in all of preseason. And Mike Boone was available in the free agent pool in most of the patron dynasty leagues. And you patrons... Patreon.com forward slash podfather. Join a patron league. All of you that allowed me to pick up Mike Boone for a dollar should be ashamed. 140.9 100th percentile burst score. If I were running an NFL team and Dalvin Cook got hurt, I would give Mike Boone more touches than Alexander Madison. Would you?
0: I mean, Alexander Madison's look good, but the profile of Mike Boone is tantalizing. I mean, you would want to give him a chance to to prove it in
1: real NFL games. So yeah, I mean, I'd be interested. I know you have to get out of here, Nate. Short show today. Final question. Rapid fire. Oh, God. You're Pete Carroll. You're running a famous meritocracy in Seattle. Who's your starting running back? Rashad Penny or Chris Carson? Who's better? Let me hit you with a stat on Chris Carson.
0: If you search NFL fumbles in 2019... The list is going to start with 12 quarterbacks and then Chris Carson's name. Chris Carson is the most fumble-prone running back I've seen in a long time. And though he's been good, I actually am nowadays preferring
1: Rashad Penny to Chris Carson. Rashad Penny is better in every way. He's more explosive. He's better in the passing game. Yep. And the most important thing for a running back is ball security because running the ball does not help you win. The analytics prove this, that passing game efficiency is what matters. If you have an efficient run game, that's nice, right? That's nice. That's nice. That helps on the margins. It slightly improves your ability to generate points, but not nearly as much as the passing game. But you know what does significantly impact your ability to score points? Losing possession of the football. The absolute worst thing you can do Your number one goal as a running back is to not turn the ball over. You're already involved in a phase of the game that's suboptimal, so your number one goal needs to be just not losing possession for your team. If you're Chris Carson and you're fumbling at the rate that he turns the ball over at, you'd be better just receiving the ball and just falling on the ground to make sure you don't fumble. You're Chris Carson and you're fumbling at the rate that he turns the ball over at you'd be better just receiving the ball and just falling on the ground to make sure you don't fumble okay buddy I'll let you go
0: just uh this is a rush night so well it'll be less editing I guess guess
1: what I talked to my dad about over Thanksgiving well mm. this could be a lot of things um the green new deal the green new deal yeah, he made some outrageous claims about what's in the Green New Deal. And then I read it, and he was pretty much right. What was his claim? That 100% of the power generated in the United States would be through renewable, zero-emission energy sources. Mm-hmm. I thought that they all had a caveat that said as much as technologically feasible, like repairing and upgrading the infrastructure. Oh, that's only one of them. Some of them are flat out we will get to 100% renewable energy in 10 years
0: It's so expensive Hawaii's the one that's in the front have you ever looked at what Hawaii's doing so Hawaii is currently 60% renewable energy as it is and their plan they're in front of everybody and their plan was to be totally renewable in like like by now I think
1: it's like 25 years from now but it's so costly. Here's the most expensive one, upgrading all existing buildings and new buildings to achieve maximum energy efficiency, water efficiency, safety, affordability. Notice they jammed in the affordability. Yeah. Comfort, what? I don't know. And durability, including through electrification. It It's gonna cost
0: them so much money to retrofit. Retrofitting every building? Exactly, to retrofit will cost them 'Cause they're gonna have to yank out the existing infrastructure, then prepare it in a way that it can handle the new
1: infrastructure. I can't even put my head around the number. Just on that bullet alone, we're talking tens of trillions of dollars. Tons. And at the rate in which, you know, renewable
0: energy, you know, puts itself back in and, and you start actually making money on what you spent to create it, it's gonna take a long ass time. I would have to honestly, I haven't looked at the numbers close. I just know that, you know, I deal with a lot of renewable energy too. And it's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's a, it's very expensive to install. B not every location is fit for one type or another, right? If, if you want to use solar, if you want to use wind, you have to have the right elements, the right area that, you know, and
1: so Buffalo, New York, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, they don't get many sunny days. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So it's uh it's interesting. It's really interesting. And you know dams, if you
1: want hydropower, those create a lot of ecological damage. Well, that's what we, I mean, that's us out here, you know. How massive of a solar field would you need? I don't know. It would need to cover an entire state. So you'd need to cut down trees to put up solar fields.
0: If you're not using it instantaneously, now you have to store it. So now you need batteries. Now you need, I mean, there's a lot to it. You can't, energy that isn't being used doesn't just sit
1: in the air. You know, you've got to store it the arbitrariness of the 10 years where we don't know what battery technology will look like in 10 years maybe if you were Nostradamus if you had a time machine and you could look ahead into what technologies were available you could actually create a plan that was reasonable but listing all these bullets and then sticking a 10-year time horizon on them is absurd but I couldn't get past the first bullet I couldn't get past the first bullet guaranteeing a job with a family-sustaining wage, an adequate family and medical leave, paid vacations and retirement security to every person in the United States. What? That's a part of the same plan? That's the first bullet. I couldn't get past that. How does that work? I was like, is this the Marx-Engels reader or is is this a proposal by a government official in a capitalist economy? What? Like, that's straight Marxism. It was breathtaking to read it. I mean they they tried doing that there was a politician once upon a time his name was Vladimir Lenin and he promised that too and they implemented a political system to achieve that it was the Soviet Union the USSR what a great place right I mean that was the utopia that's laid out in this Green New Deal home of Chernobyl.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't know how you do it unless you do some type of NATO thing where every country is given, you know, 2% of whatever and you're building towards something, but...
1: If you want to invest in the battery technology and the solar technology, cool, man. Speed up the process of making it more affordable, and then eventually it becomes more cost-effective. Do you realize how much people in rural America talk about gas prices? I mean, even though they're relatively low, historically, Mm -hmm. Adjusted for inflation. They still talk about gas prices ad nauseum. They're dying for an opportunity to lower their energy bills. You just got to give them a more efficient way to power their vehicles and to heat their homes. And they'll go with it. They're going with pellet stoves. They're finding all these creative ways to cut energy costs in rural America. You just have to deliver it to them. You know, create a less expensive energy source. That's what people will switch to. It's simple. You don't have to set an 80% tax to generate the revenue necessary for this kind of boondoggle. Yeah, it says, uh, this thing here says it'll cut
0: 50% of the military budget by doing this. 50%. What do you mean? Because
1: the military spends
0: that much on gas? I don't get it. Yeah, because fossil fuel supplies uh, for transportation would no longer be justified, is what it says. Well, I'm all for cutting defense spending, but that's another topic let me just tell you right now you're not gonna get enough people to be able to install all this it will not happen this is the most this is probably the best the economy has been in a very long time in terms of construction work and everybody's working round the clock all the time nobody's out of a job right now it nationwide it's crazy you're not gonna find tradesmen or or anybody that you know, has a license that's capable of doing this work unless you're going to repeal licenses and you know things like that to make it happen.
1: That's a great point. I, I love the, the obsession with building the infrastructure. I'm like, everywhere I turn, there's a crane. What are you talking about? Yeah, there's no way. There are construction projects all over the place. What do you mean? Where is this lack of infrastructure? What United States are you living in where you think we need more infrastructure? What? Everyone that has a license to do anything in construction is employed. Yeah, there's just no way. So, well, it's interesting. At least, I guess I'll read this. I haven't, I've heard about it, but I haven't done much digging, but. It's comical. It's a comical fantasy that isn't feasible. It isn't reasonable. It would be a horrible allocation of resources. Like, if, in the world of, uh, sir, what, what are you talking about right here? You put me within uh, 500 yards, Adolf Hitler, <laughs> war is over. Sending a weapon of war like myself on this expedition is what I call a serious misallocation of resources. You listen to everybody, that's how you gripe.
0: This is just, yeah, I'm flipping through this thing. This is crazy. Wow, the 10-year window is what's the most mind-bending thing of all of it. My
1: dad was like, they're gonna get rid of all the cows. And I said, well, they're gonna work collectively with farmers to eliminate pollution as much as is technically feasible. So there are a handful of bullet points where they say as much as technologically feasible but but that should be every bullet. Yeah. No, I mean the whole yeah, the whole methane thing. I mean, well, methane is the most destructive of the greenhouse gases and the United States does emit a disproportionate amount of the methane, but it's not because of cows. So, when you read about the contribution of livestock to methane in the environment, that is grossly overstated because it undercounts the amount of methane produced by landfills. Hmm. And landfills full of plastic. And we, the United States, happen to have an inordinate amount of plastic heavy landfills. Like we have a lot of landfills, bro. And there's a reason why you shouldn't even be around a landfill. There's a reason why they have to put vents in those landfills. Do you think that clean oxygen is coming out of those landfills? What do you think is coming out of those landfills?
0: Toxic stuff. Not good stuff. Toxic gases. A lot of methane. A lot more than cow farts produce. Yeah, well, you know, and the argument has been like oftentimes you hear the methane thing come up too when talking about, uh, you know, know, like vegan arguments against, you know, meat because the thing about it is they, they oftentimes cite that, but it's the transportation to get the things in and out and, you know, provide the hay and and provide the slaughter and transport the meat, move everything around. All those vehicles that are on the road add to kind of what's going on out there. So that becomes like a whole additional piece of an argument. So it's not just like the slaughter of animals, it's what is it doing to the environment to provide for them to, you know, to do the slaughter, to package them, to move them to the factories.
1: You have to package vegetables from South America to bring them to North America in the winter. What are we talking about? It's a big part of the argument. What are we talking about?
0: I eat meat, Matt. I don't know.
1: The vegan militia. They'll come up with anything. I'll go to war. On the Joe Rogan show, they also talked about how the the vegans use, like, our anatomy to argue that we're meant to eat plants and fruit, not animals.
0: Oh, we've been eating meat for a very, very long time.
1: The fossil evidence disagrees with that strongly. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah,
0: that's, uh it's hysterical yeah i think i heard the same thing they were talking about the uh i have you've heard the game changers episode there was one that just came out today um with uh chris kesser and then the guy that was one of the the main guys in the game changers uh vegan documentary and then rogan and he moderated a debate i'm only a little bit into it but they just a couple days ago did an episode where they broke down the video the documentary and now they're bringing the guy that made the documentary in and Rogan's moderating a debate and it's like four hours long so I haven't got to hear it yet oh
1: Rogan yeah Rogan man he's changing the world when you go to the most popular podcast it's like true crimes which is the most addictive type of podcast inside the crime mystery right that is the ultimate hook premise for a podcast but it's like the number one true crime podcast and then Joe Rogan that's how huge his podcast is oh yeah it's enormous it might have the biggest listenership in the world
0: Uh, yeah I think it does I mean I he's I don't know that he's ever stated what it is but I know his YouTube episodes get like millions and millions and millions of views and that I think a podcast is even easier to consume I know
1: people oh yeah from whatever you're getting on YouTube times that by five to ten for a podcast.
0: in another news, is Allen Robinson going to shit the bed when we need him most? Dun, dun, dun.
1: Who said that? Oh, I'm just curious. We're
0: one quarter in and Allen Robinson is uh, nowhere to be found. Oh, there's a game tonight. There is a game tonight. It's the Chicago Bears, Dallas Cowboys. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. I chose to start Allen Robinson and uh, I may regret it. It was going to be him or Odell Beckham in that slot. I just happen to have very few Cowboys
1: and Bears in my fantasy teams. It's not
0: a bad decision.
1: Just in general. I have Zeke and a couple of dynasty teams. And I have Dak. And he's always starting. And that's about it.
0: <sighs> Mitchell Trubisky threw an interception to start the game, so...
1: Mitchell Trubisky is leading the Bears in rushing by a wide margin. That's good. By a 6-1 to one margin. Well, At least David Montgomery is holding to his average. By the way, the American flag bio people. Oh, God. They better give me some credit for shredding the Green New Deal and the outtakes. <laughs> God. You know, the Capricators have to realize that I, I am not a monolithic entity. My positions span the entire political spectrum. But no one with common sense takes the Green New Deal seriously. We're doing a song and it has to be modern. We've just gone... Coolio, Gangsta's Paradise, Weird Al. Some of these songs we've been discussing are 30, 40 years old. We have millennials that listen to this show, Nate. Some of these listeners, they have no idea what these songs are. They're like, Coolio who? Coolie what? <laughs> I don't Is that, are they that young? There are a lot of listeners in this audience that don't give a fuck about Coolio. Wow, that is truly unfortunate. Some of them don't even give a fuck about Jay-Z. Okay, now we got problems. They only know Jay-Z as being a crusty old NBA owner. <laughs> minority owner, come on! A crusty old NBA minority owner. Thank you. Thank you. Double meaning on the minority there. I'm gonna try to trap you into some misogyny here with this video. Oh, that shouldn't be hard.
0: <laughs> <So>.
1: Strategically chosen. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I can tell. God. Oh, man. Well, I'll do
1: my best to navigate around it. This song is fire. It's a rare thing that a song strikes me as this hot. And it's too bad it's not summer. Usually when this song comes out, it's June, July. and It's like, oh, this is the song of the summer. I first heard this in November. Hmm. And the video premiered in November 1st, so it's not like I'm late to the party. But as soon as I heard it, I was like, oh, fire oh man i'm so nervous
0: i'm reading comments before i watch the video and one says i searched this song and then all of a sudden i was inside an h m dressing room putting on skinny jeans i don't know what i don't know what this means i'm ready uh oh
1: just tell me this song isn't fire not to hear it i don't know
2: did a full one
1: An intro is making me feel ill. When I saw this video and I saw how fast the camera movements were. Yeah, it's very Blair Witch Project. I knew you had to see it. I'm struggling. I also think that when you describe your type. Do Lipa seem to check some of those boxes? Yeah, a handful. <laughs> oh,
2: God.
1: I love that the idea that it's all black, dark, black and white, and then she has the fluorescent clothes in the center of all the people and all the hands. I love that. Yeah, it's
0: a good song. Very poppy.
1: I mean, if you can't listen to this song and not bop up and down. Yeah. And then putting her in that outfit in a renaissance party with powder wigs. Right. I love the eyes on the paintings or
0: staring around.
1: I have like a daydream about doing that. Putting one of those pictures in our house.
0: with <laughs> like uh, one of the sliders that'll put the eyes back in place after you're done looking.
1: I want to do that so bad. It'd be creepy in one of those um, secret passages to the bookcase.
2: Don't show up. That's right. Don't come out. Don't start caring about me now. Walk away. You know how. Don't start caring about me now.
0: Yeah, it's a good music video.
1: Oh, wow. Everybody's very overdressed and the most unrealistic part of this video is the fact that she's in the women's bathroom alone that never happens. That's true. There's almost like a conga line to get in the women's bathroom in a club.
2: So if you don't see me dancing with somebody
1: That's not a bad song. It's catchy. I feel like she's got belts holding up her top. Wow. Wow. My daughter's never leaving the house dressed like that. The fashion in this video is beyond my sensibility. Wow. You were bopping. I saw you bopping. Yeah, I was, I was bopping. I was doing what the, the millennials do. You were once upon a time a music producer. Your dream must have been to produce a song where the first time you heard it, you knew it was good. Because so many songs take a couple listens before you realize, oh yeah, this is a really good song. Oh yeah, now my brain is programmed to toe tap, head bop along with this song. But that song needs no programming. That was pretty short. It's funny how when the, when the song is a true dance beat, an EDM dance beat, the song's over like that. Just three minutes. The song's over. What happened? I don't know.
0: Yeah, I was, I was bopping. I was doing what the, the millennials do. That song's
1: fire. It's a good song. I agree. I'm going to add it to some playlists immediately after this episode. I have a YouTube playlist called Fire, and that's the only song on it
0: i have never heard it i don't listen to the radio so i don't know where i would come across it
1: i've listened to it five times today i'm not gonna lie this is how you would come across it when you're recording the sonic truth podcast you're welcome i did introduce you to another song that went on to rise up the top 40 charts after we broke it down do you remember yeah trampoline we talked about trampoline on the show next thing you know all the top 40 stations were picking it up but we talked about it First on the Sonic Truth Pod. I'm
0: going to send a message to all the, the millennials. Listen, guys, send me your music. If you got music like this, send it to me. I want to hear it. I'm, I'm Apparently, I'm not in tune. I'm not. I guess I am a boomer. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, listen, Don't Start Now just came out last month. Do you know who the Jonas Brothers are? Yeah. Yeah. They have a song called Sucker, a song called Only Human. You've heard those? I, I'm sure I've, yeah, I've heard those. I'm a sucker for you, doo-doo, do 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 do. You've heard that? Yeah,
0: of course I've heard that. Yeah, come on. I know all the Jonas Brothers, Ricky, Timmy, Tommy, Danny.
1: Okay, okay, you ready to do a show? Born ready.
0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty Podcast.
1: Hey, I actually was pleasantly surprised. Only two one-star reviews on iTunes. Jesus. No, if I talk Kaepernick for any length of time, minimum five one-star reviews. So just to get two was... Not bad. Whew. Not bad. A relief. And then I come back over the top in the next show and bury the Green New Deal Mm -hmm. to win back. Right. The American flag emoji people. I push them away. I push them away. And then I bring them back. I win them back. Push away, win them back. Push them away, win them back. Suck them back in. They don't know where they are. Green New Deal sucks my balls.
0: (laughs) i got to close all my browser tabs. I'm tired
1: of looking at them. I'm going to do this all from memory.
0: This is going to be the worst show
1: we've had. It might be the best. If previous shows had been you with copious access to research, then mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this show is probably going to be excellent. Mm. Well, We'll find out. Who the hell is J.P. Holtz? I don't know. Who's J.P. Holtz? He's by far and away the leading receiver for the Chicago Bears. Perfect. J.P. Holtz is their starting tight end because Ben Bronecker is out. You listen to that Steve Belichick interview?
0: Uh, I saw what people were posting on Twitter, but I didn't hear the interview. No, I haven't heard it.
1: Yeah, I'm just not sure how it correlates. Uh, Whatever we need to do for the team is what we're gonna do and football is my thing and I just want to be with my dad. (laughs) Football is my thing and just whatever is good for the team. And I'm trying to speak in the exact same tone and cadence as my father. Uh,
0: This version went a lot further. Together.
2: Um, I don't know, I haven't really thought about how it correlates. It's just it's trying to do my thing, and I think that that's what's best. So that's what we're trying to do.
1: Steve, Phil asked you about the chores. Do you have memory of your first football chore, or one of your first football chores that he asked
2: you to do? Yeah, I got a couple memories of those. Uh, and you want to share? And they good? Yeah, those are between me and him, yeah. What's the best way to We laugh about them now. When did you
1: first start watching film? Well, he started when he was in high school.
2: Um, uh, I've been watching it for a while. Uh, like I said, football is my thing. Um, I remember watching primetime with Chris Berman back when I lived in Cleveland and just watching highlights, learning, going into my dad's office in uh, Cleveland, spending time there, trying to watch film. Like I said, I don't think I knew what I was doing, but I was trying. So
1: other kids were watching cartoons, you were watching film? Uh, I mean,
2: yeah, I, I just wanted to spend time around football, spend time around my dad because he's like Pinocchio, he's like a puppet.
1: I'm a real boy. Jerry, I wanna be a real boy.
2: I don't listen to the show. Like I said, football's my thing. Um... Well done, Mr.
1: Kelly. Because I actually took the time to outline my thoughts on the show sheet so I could be super polished when the mics come on. He was getting everyone the bare minimum. And that's a goddamn shame. J.J. Arcega White suck. J.J. Arcega White suck is not very good. How about this? How about this for a nickname? J.J. Arcega White not good. J.J. Arcega White... Ooh, sigh. You don't draft J.J. fucking Arcega White sigh. <laughs> yeah. You and I, man! I mean... It's like we've done hundreds of shows together. <laughs> D- yeah. Do Lipa seem to check some of those boxes? a handful. Cooley, what? If I plucked a football fan out of Buffalo Wild Wings, serene. <laughs> serene. And they would
0: be wrong.
1: I'm ashamed.
0: Why did you try to stop me? You're at your absolute worst when you flip this switch. Like I said, football's my thing.
1: um No, hold on. Hold on. How about this? How about this for a nickname? J.J. Arcega White Suck. Dude, I got a jet. I'm a real
2: boy. (laughs) Yeah.
1: It's hard to give you credit as a show host. I understand. When you're so often stumbling around. I don't listen to the show.